Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade film movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I am Colonel Johnson in the library with the wrench. That, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could see you wrenching a few things wrong. This sounds, yeah, you fix things great. Oh, yeah, but no better fixer in the world. True man. Um, true man. Man's man. Oh, boy. This is going to be good then, because ladies and gentlemen, we're damn glad to have you folks. This is all for tantrum's sake. We're sharing passions and I-5s wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. If you can't tell by Will Johnson's introduction of himself, we're here to talk about Clue from 1985. And we have brought in a special guest. Um, we have Mark Krawcheck of Special Media Produ- Special Mark Media Productions. Um, he's a mutual friend of critics circles of people that uh, myself and Will kind of populate and ha- you know pop in on. I met met mark through ian simmons's kicking the seat podcast so did will and uh mark say hello to the good folks hello very happy to finally make it on the show yeah we, we've been wanting to have you for a long time and uh you've had us as guests and um <laughs> no, but uh and uh yeah we we love hearing your opinions on things and, you, and you're kind of like a kindred spirit for me like don don is uh yeah. you know obviously a good friend and everything but you know He's not going to watch all 14 puppet masters like I know Mark no. will. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's, that's kind of like the see. joy of it, you know? Let me see Got what it. word that is in the thesaurus. Uh, yes, here it is. Pussy. That's me. Got it. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. You're, you're tr- testing your true metal is watching all 16 witchboard films. Then witchboard. See, I think of witchboard. And like, is there meat and cheese on it? Is like, a, is it a harcuchier tray? Is that how we say it? I don't know. I don't know. I, I've seen which, the witches of Breastwick. Does that count? Oh, which which part? Part one or two or three? Oh, see, they all blend together for me because yeah, I usually watch them in ten minute increments. But but yeah, no, that's. Uh... <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, our format is this: uh, we will do this in five minute increments. So, <laughs> load management, gentlemen. Uh, the recommending Maybe. lover will go first, but in this case, it's going to be our guest, Mark Krawcheck. Uh He's going to give five interrupted minutes to shower his praise and state his high minded case for his recommended choice of clue. The hater will or lover will be a half lover will be me coming up with five after that and the hater the meh artist of will johnson will come in with his five interrupted minutes of his own to present his counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth after that we'll open up for 15 to 50 minutes of a shared conversation where the hiss fit really gets chippy and the who knows who gets murdered but ladies and gentlemen let's go mark do you feel like yes. you can keep your own timer on this one or do you need assistance I I should be able to keep my old own timer on you this, got this one. I've All right, got far this. away, sir. So, okay, here we go. Clue, nineteen eighty five, uh, is my favorite comedy. Uh, it it pales in comparison to many other, and it may support prize people. But what I will say is, if you ever want a clinic on comedic timing, comedic editing, and just how to properly do beats in comedy. Clue should be one of those films you watch, uh, not only because of the very talented cast that they have, but also behind the scenes of how they shot this, pieces together, and everything. They crafted this film to be far better than what you might think it is for a movie based off of a board game before that was trendy. (laughs) uh, Tim Curry really keeps the glue together, and 
his butler is just one of those memorable Tim Curry characters. Once you see him, you will never forget him. I quote him all of the time. In fact, I quote this film quite a bit because a lot of the dialogue in here is very quotable. I mean, when you have a cast like Christopher Lloyd, you've got Madeline Kahn, you've got uh, Eileen Brennan in here in a wonderful Mrs. Peacock role, Martin Mole, Michael Keehan, Leslie Ann Warren, and Colleen Camp shows up in here in a horror French accent, all on purpose, mind you folks. This is before Glass Onion and before Knives Out. This was your satire, your parody of your murder mystery film. It hits all of those tropes. It is very aware it's hitting those tropes, and yet they make it entertaining and fun to watch. I showed this to a friend of mine who had never seen it. He's big on script and dialogue. Halfway through the film, he went, how have I not seen this film until now? Now, it's not going to be for everybody. It is not action-packed. But I will say those fans of the more modern uh, murder mystery or even Kenneth Branagh's uh, readaption of some of those classic uh, mysteries like Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile should check this out because – as much as there is comedy and slapstick and one-liners in here, it is an actual movie. There is a plot. There is structure to it. It isn't just what some comedies, especially parody comedies, do, especially in the last 15 years, where it's just skit to skit to skit. This one, your characters have at least enough depth so you know what they are, and it has the feel of the game. Uh, you know, I I, I just love... This movie, watching it again for the show, I was still laughing. And it's one of those shows where I start to laugh before the joke happens because I know it's coming. Um, <laughs> you know, the setting is great. They don't go to a lot of locations, yet the setting feels like the house on one of the original clue boards. And in the end, it, this is just a fun film where you can sit back, relax, and watch very talented comedians play off each other with some great chemistry. The side characters, yeah, they aren't that great. But, you know, when you're going up against this body of comedians, uh, you know, you try to bring your best game. But you're you're really only there anyway to serve as the, the murder uh, victims in the end. Uh, I love the different endings that they have on here. I thought that was a creative way. I'm old enough to remember when it was released in theaters and they had only one ending and there's three of them and you had to decide which theater to go to to see which ending and luckily the newspaper laid that out for you but still i, I mean overall for 80s comedy it doesn't it while it does have some innuendo jokes in here for sure it doesn't rely on what most 80s comedies have which was the gratuitous nudity just for the sake of nudity i mean to, you know, there was no reason why in Police Academy and a number of those other comedies there were, had to be any nudity, but it was 80s. And if you did a comedy, it pretty much had to have that in there. But I just think this is so much fun. And definitely, if you're looking to go into comedy or making a comedy film, it is a film to watch. And that's my spiel. Nicely done, sir. No, I, I have to echo that. Um, I, I'm that first-time watcher who got to see it for the first time here, getting ready for this mm -hmm. show. And I see exactly the way you, you see it, where it, the 
the timing, the beat, the the scripted, and this is a combination of script and editing, which I'm I have to be impressed by because you're right. You know, if you want to lampoon something, but also still kind of give it style, give it edge, give it performance, give it showiness. You've got a movie that does that right here with Clue uh, versus, like you said, something that would take like if, if this was 10 years later, this would be a scary movie. And and you said it best when you go from skit to skit where you have this, you know, cocktail napkin idea and you go to another cocktail napkin idea and there's no fluidness between them or there's no good threads to kind of piece it all together. You you have a, a joke fest for sure. You have things you might laugh at. Um, I know I watch scary movie and I laugh. I mean, uh, <laughs> there's plenty of little <laughs> scenes here and there that I laugh, but there's just not um, just a, a, a good universal thing that holds it together. And I think the smart things that that spoofer or even just the classic whodunit, like you need something that kind of you need cohesion that holds it together. And this movie does bring that. And I have to same thing, tip my hat in the same kind of way. And and I, I admit the um the the gratuitous nudity part where you mentioned here, Mark, it's very true. And I'm I'm surprised because co-writing here is John Landis, who's you know no no stranger to throwing some tits and ass in some movies, you know, between Kentucky Fried Movie and Animal House and and you know uh training places and you know he'll 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 pop a titty. You know, but um, so I'm surprised Colleen Camp survived this movie clothed as she did. So, but no, um, I I, I think the the stick that stirs the drink, and I think everyone who who has come to this movie as a with the cult following that it is is Tim Curry. Uh, Tim Curry mm-hmm. is just brilliant because you, I think you he's. Uh, Yes, he's the energy that keeps characters moving and shifting. He also, of course, by by the time we get to our denouement, he's our storyteller. But at the same time, you need kind of that trigger and instigator that puts these characters together because when they do show up and they, you know, we get the little dinner introductions and we kind of see the makings of what they are. It still has Tim throwing the darts to kind of poke those balloons and go, no, 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 you're this too. And and obviously, when we have the murder weapons introduced in little gift little you know, table <laughs> gifts and setups and all that like it just it, it leads itself in that kind of way and uh, i'm again i'm with mark like this is uh, i i would have had no idea had i watched this that it came you know um after the game the long time game you know the i mm-hmm. just the fact that how can you take a, a concept that would normally like i said be cocktail nickmans but uh can you flush it together into a, a whole thing in a movie that just still has the charm of what you all love and enjoy? And Mark is right. You could take this movie and teach a few lessons in terms of not just what Mark said, comedy, comedy pacing and beats and, and patience and setups and long, you know, long form or just, you know, payoffs that have a little bit of, you know, roots to them more than just quick, quick hitting gags. Um, but you can also still kind of, you know, have this be a clinic of, of concept stretched out with good, very good writing. And I, I'm just impressed by Jonathan Lynn and, and John Landis to kind of put this thing together. Um, you know, it, for the first time I noticed in the, in the film, just kind of a joke that kind of went in that direction was the, the shit in the shoe joke, you know, like where they just milked that, they milked that for all they could with every little sniff and every little introduction. But you know what? It's, if this was like you, like, like, like Mark said, if this was a, a lesser thing, it'd be a one time good hit gag and it'd be a loud one for the sake of being loud. Like, oh my gosh, is there shit on your shoe? It would just be gaudy and silly, but like it's coy, it's sly, and just like shit on a shoe, it's kind of scraped off and dusted on the carpet, but it never really goes away. So there's just so much fun of how they can layer those things together. Characterizations of different characters stay. It, it, 
it would be easy also to take this movie and have the characters just go batty and wacky and lo- and be shifty and lose too much of who they are. You're waiting for 800 double crosses when all you need is a couple or all you need is just a little shade here, a little shade there. And to what Mark said, you've got a brilliant cast that can do that. Um, I think if you bring bigger names and bigger stars in here, they they their charisma and energy suffocates the room uh and that's sometimes the case when you have a knives out and a knives out glass onion where fine you know you have fun actors who if they're willing to step back and play the part and not play them you you, of course there's talent there to make a fantastic movie but sometimes you just get people who they're the stars first and you can't shake that whereas you have characters first in a movie like this so yeah, I admit, um, I don't know if I'm a five-star classic kind of raider and kind of guy like that, but the the as a first-timer, I'm very glad I saw this cult following completely deserved. Uh, easily the best Tim Curry, best thing I've seen Tim Curry do. It's just a blast. So, yeah, that's my five. Thanks. <clears throat> Adorable. All right, um, let's see. Start my five-minute timer here. Let me, let me talk about the things I like first, because I, I don't want to be a negative Nancy, you know? Uh, I don't hate it. I'm definitely not the hater. I am the hater of this particular episode. Um, but things I like. Um, I think the set design is awesome. Uh, like, I would like to visit that house. I think that would be pretty cool. I like the matte paintings. I like the, I like the 50s aesthetic, um, high society 50s aesthetic. Um, I think that uh, it is a good, impressive cast of... Um, not just like good comic timing, but good physical actors too. Um, uh, I think uh, I, I, when I saw John Landis's name popped up, I wondered how many crewmen or and or actors died during the production. But that's a story <laughs> for another day. Uh, but luckily, I don't think anyone did. So thank goodness. Uh, I like to see Deborah Hill's name on that too. I'm assuming that's uh, Mark. Can you confirm? Is that the, the Deborah Hill from? Uh, John Carpenter Halloween fame. Um, I do believe so. Yeah, last time I looked it up, but so I like to see her name on things, and also Jonathan Lynn, a director that I didn't realize until I looked him up that I've seen like a bunch of his films. Uh, you know, he did uh, My Cousin Vinny, and, uh, and 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 mostly films of, with the exception of My Cousin Vinny, mostly films of uh, actors slumming it for a paycheck, like the whole nine yards, uh, the distinguished gentleman, Sergeant Bilko, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that's pretty much as far as it goes. I mean, I'm not a quirky guy. I'm very tough on comedies. Um, I don't laugh very often <laughs> at things. I'm kind of a curmudgeon when it comes to comedy. So you really have to, you really have to lift above something to, to get me laughing on a consistent basis and have a good time. I'm definitely more of a sarcastic, witty person. Um, you know, my favorite, uh, I, I like a little bit of caustic nature. I like a little bit of cynicism. Uh, that's why you know, I'm a huge Shane Black fan. I can watch things like The Nice Guys and laugh continuously forever at that. Uh, but mostly screwball, goofy, quirky kind of comedy does not really tickle my fancy so i was struggling through a lot of clue um like i said production wise very good good actors good everything like that but really not my thing and i and i I, all the pieces are there and i'll I'll talk about this also when we do stargate all the pieces are there um it just underwhelmed me overall because yeah i just not i don't I, i mean maybe this is something Kind of like uh, maybe like a Princess Bride, another movie I haven't seen, which I know will get me murdered by many people. But um, 
I haven't seen it because everyone's been telling me how classic it is, you know, and that's what people have been telling me about Clue forever. So I don't know if there's an expectation thing with it or, uh, you know, I'm scared of meeting those, you know, trying to live up to those expectations. Um, Clue, obviously not quite as, um, you know, part of the zeitgeist as much as something like Princess Bride is. But um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I just, something about it. I was, I was struggling through the runtime. Um, I can't imagine, I can't see where I laughed other than a, a well-placed line here or there. I mean, the, the movie ends on a pretty great line, you know, with, I'm going to go home and make love to my wife. That's a great kind of line. Um, but uh, yeah, just the goofy energy wasn't it for me. The cleverness of it. I, I'm not a big mystery guy either. Like I, I enjoy, like I'm, I'm also like with Knives Out. Everyone was going gaga for Knives Out, and I was like, yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's fine. I, I'm not really into that type of storytelling. So I don't know. Call me a curmudgeon. Call me a jerk. I'm sure you, you guys have all called me that, both to my face and behind my back. But uh, <laughs> this one, uh, this one just, just did not, uh, did, did not. I just, I was waiting for it to end, and it's kind of a shame because, like I said, all the pieces are there. I love the scenery. I love the setting. I love those actors. Um, you know, and yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. I'm going to end like 38 seconds early. All right, folks, please enjoy this short announcement from the Ruminations Radio Network. Oh, God, it hurts. What's wrong, buddy? Nothing. That's the name of our podcast. Do you think anyone will know it's a reference to what some random SWAT team member said in that one scene in Terminator 2 after getting nailed in the back with the gas canister? Probably not, but they will get a regular dose of two lifelong gamer buddies on either side of the Pacific Ocean, delivering their view of video games with a retro emphasis every other week. That's cool. All right, welcome back. Yeah, um, so, uh, yeah, break this down, talk around the worm. What do we got here? <laughs> well, hey. I totally get Will's approach. Um, I always say comedy is probably one of the hardest genres because everybody has a different sense of humor, even more so than like horror. Horror has different tastes, but it, it appeals depending on on who it's from. The horror can can appeal to a little more, but definitely comedies. I'm the same way, but I, I'm the same way with horror a bit too. Everybody was going gaga for bodies, bodies, bodies this past year. I did not like that film. Yeah. Um, I, I liked, I thought that I get that they were trying to do satire, but it wasn't just my type of film. Younger uh, reviewers in that were really getting it. They thought it was awesome. Me, I found all the characters annoying and couldn't wait for everyone to die in that film. And then the supposed <laughs> twist I saw coming right away, I'm going, wow, I get what you're trying to go for. But it, I realized it's not necessarily bad. It just wasn't me. So I get where Will's coming from that for clue. Um, you know, the, you gotta, you've got to kind of enjoy your murder mystery to really pick up on what they're, they're going for in here. And yeah, uh, it, it it's definitely not going to hit for everyone. Uh, but I think there's still a, the technical aspects, which I think will touched on. There's definitely a lot to appreciate in here. Mm. And especially as uh, uh, Don and I were talking, the comedy, the editing in here, uh, mm -hmm. it knows exactly how long to pause, 
how to yep. piece things together. Um, you know, the wordplay, the wordplay is very hard <laughs> to do usually. And the wordplay in here is, I have seen very few films that have the wordplay and have actors be able to do the banter of the wordplay as effectively as they do in here. I'll second that. That's it is a different skill set where you have people who say that we consider funny, but it's, it's a different skill to do the wordplay, do the banter, do the pace of it, put it together, deliver a joke, have some patience. We've got like we were saying before, we have a lot of skit artists and uh, we have a lot of SNL kind of people where, you know, the Jimmy Fallon's of the world can't do this or it would be overly mm -hmm. obvious or they would fuck up a thousand takes you know will ferrell <laughs> could probably maybe do these he's a shade more old school but uh current people now like pete davidson couldn't do this movie uh some of that judd apatow crowd maybe could do this movie you know the the paul rudds and the seth rogan's of the world but they would also probably be also over the top and overly obvious about it where you get like you like we were saying you have michael mckeon you tim curry you have just really solid know the assignment actors and the assignment is patience deliver a line hit it right hit this mark and there's an art to it that you're right most people don't appreciate and that's a shame yeah i i want to i love what you said mark about the horror thing because I, I do think that uh in general in general um film criticism for for the i'm not going to say like we're above average but for like for the average film viewer who doesn't go to watch a movie to analyze it and look at its place in culture and things like that i was i was talking to a friend of mine the other day uh and I was telling him how much, you know, I admire Jordan Peele and I love Jordan Peele stuff. And he was just like, well, he just makes horror films. And I was like, no, 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 He does not make just horror films. And he's like, well, explain it to me. This is a horror film, right? And like I said, he's not coming at it from more of a dissection angle like a lot of film critics are. Some people just go to the movies to have fun. and That's fine. And maybe if I was in a different, like, mindset when i was watching clue maybe i would have enjoyed it more but i like what mark said about horror because I, I think the same thing like um like as soon as i see the reason why i haven't seen like uh things like um the witch or the reason why i haven't i haven't finished that uh, fear street trilogy is because as soon as you get like folksy 1800s horror like i am turned off completely like i cannot stand that like genre uh, like that subgenre of horror i just don't like folksy in the woods you know puritans and pilgrim shit i just can't do it but i that doesn't mean i don't like horror movies so yeah I, that's a that's a great example because i think comedy does get lumped in sometimes i think the only example that has changed is you have your comedies and then you have your romantic comedies i think mm -hmm. people separate mm -hmm. those two but, <laughs> well, but I, the romantic but I, comedies are a whole other beast. well exactly uh, exactly but i yeah. think that like when somebody says a comedy, like, yeah, I think the same thing. Like, usually whenever I see something with Kevin Hart or Will Ferrell that comes out in the theater, I'm going mm -hmm. to avoid that like the plague because that is not my type of comedy. Yeah. You know, um, this like this, this is what makes Clue so weird for me because it's like I said, all the pieces are there to make this something I would really enjoy because it's it's definitely not. It's definitely not lazy. It's definitely not. Um, easy. It's not. None of this is like low-hanging fruit joke humor stuff. I mean, occasionally uh, with the with the women, I think there is because there's you know the always someone's always trying to you know peek at Colleen Camp's boobs or you know <laughs> Leslie Ann Warren's boobs or something. So there's a little bit of low denominator every now and then. But for the most part, this is trying to trade on 
clever witticisms and comebacks and playing with the tropes and the genres. And, and, and I got to give it a lot of praise for, like you said, this is a, this is based on a board game, you know, like, and this isn't like they're reaching. It's not like when battleship came out and it was like, well, how can we make battleship a movie? You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's, it's kind of like they said, Hey, this is a great concept. Let's, and, and also major props for adulting it up a little bit, you know, they're mm-hmm. talking about Definitely. communism. They're talking about nuclear physicism. They're talking about murder. They're talking about boobs and sex and prostitutes. Yeah. Like, I like that they kind of adulted it up because really Clue is just, I mean, we've all played Clue. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember how to play Clue, but I know I've played it. And I know the, I know the, um, you know, the Colonel Mustard in the, in the study with the candlestick. Like, we all know that from reference from the Zeitgeist. But yeah. Yeah. It, it's all there. And that's I just can't, I can't attach to it. I don't know what it is. It really bothers me because I, everything says I should love this. I, and that's, I'm surprised because like, as soon as you said adulted up and talked about that center core of like the government mystery and the connected characters, like that's better, you know, better roots and, and core than like you said, battleship where that movie's dumb as soon as you bring up aliens. Like if you want to adult up battleship and make it cool, do do cold war have americans versus russians and a fleet yeah. out there like that should be das fucking boot you know um <laughs> yeah well maybe not three hours in that dry but uh funny because it's wet but uh no 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 um uh, but yeah I'm, surp- I'm i'm surprised this movie can't get you enough you know so yeah yeah I, you know it's this is the same argument i had with in our previous episode for everything everywhere all at once you know like okay i i i mean i gave that a higher rating i think that's a better movie um mm-hmm. But I'm not like part of the fan club of that because I'm just not a quirky guy either. I, I don't really do quirky. Like th- this movie has a lot of like quirky screaming. There's, there's very old fashionedness to this, a little mm-hmm. slapsticky stuff that I'm just not into. Like, and I think that I, I don't know how to describe it too. It's like it kind of reminds me of watching some of the the hit comedy shows of like the 60s and 70s which I enjoy like mash or something like I got a, a mash vibe from this where it's a little bit over the edge every now and then there's some slapstick, but uh, yeah, I just, um, yeah, I can't, I'll, I'll admit, I'll admit the, I'll admit the section for me that lost me a little. We're like, okay, now we're just, we're screwing around a little too much is Tim Curry running around to like, to, to lay out the crime. Like I get what he's doing. <laughs> Dial it to six instead of eleven, and I'm there. You know that that's the like I, I'm I'm there for it because it's fast, it's fun, it's Tim Curry. But that's the one part where I'm like, you know, it's a 97 minute movie. It wouldn't kill you to have a 101 minute movie and slow that whole thing down. But I didn't mention Mark- I didn't mention Mash just because the cook is played by Kelly Nakahara, who was like uh, one of the nurses in Mash that like started mm-hmm. out as like the nurse you just see in the background all the time, and then by like season eleven they were like, hey, let's give her an episode. You know, like. <laughs> so that, that reminded me of that but anyway go ahead sorry mark no it's just it, the side characters in here are comedy too it's and, and i think that's why i appreciate this film so much is kind of the elements that you were mentioning was it's not just set in 56 mm-hmm. it, it is not just like they just don't throw that up oh so we can dress classy this feels like it lives in the time period it's supposed to i mean even when uh and early on when the but when Tim Curry's character uh, Butler comes into the kitchen to talk to the cook on the TV are the trials from McCarthy. <laughs> the McCarthy <laughs> trials are playing on the TV. They got McCarthy on the TV and communism comes up quite a bit. 
I mean, that's part of the Butler's story, too, is that, you know, uh, my wife was a socialist. We can't all be perfect, you know? <laughs> you know. And then, you know, there's some other jokes that are are period appropriate that some people, especially as you get further away from the 50s, are not going to pick up on or quite understand why, you know, why the joke of communism was just a red herring uh, is just hilarious to me. And how they drop that, you know. And uh, the, selling the radio parts on the black market by Colonel Mustard, and you know some of those some of those things is just uh, you know some of the references are going to be a little bit lost if you're not quite familiar with or the style the slapstick is definitely done in that late fifties early sixties style when there is slapstick stick comedy in here, um, but. I guess for me, why I enjoy it is is surely the script and the banter mm-hmm. um, and the dialogue and just how they come at you with these. But it's not like we made a joke, ah, which a lot of modern comedies too. They will do the extra beat, like look what we just did here. Did you see that audience? That was supposed to be yeah. funny. Over telegraph. Definitely over telegraph, like the peacock ending, uh, the Mrs. Mm-hmm. Peacock, when she gets arrested, Tim Curry goes, just like the Mounties, we always get our man. And Mr. Green goes, Mrs. Peacock was a man. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I mean, just the bang, bang that you have there. Or yeah. you have questions. Like, just one. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like and, that. Or, There's so many. Or the one that everybody tells me, and it's going to happen here is when you stay, you know, and to make a long story short, too late. I, I Mm -hmm. love that running gag that they have in here. And people do that to me all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I do like the, um, and, and uh, hot fuzz did this too, in a brilliant way. Like where they, there's that great scene in hot fuzz where Simon Pegg, like, connects all the dots about these like suspicious land deals that like mm-hmm. Timothy Dalton's doing. And then and you find out at the, like at the end, it's like, well, that was interesting that you found all that out, but really we just, we just wanted to kill all these people because we want to win this contest. And like, <laughs> I like that this movie does that too, where it's kind of like, wait, so this has nothing to do with my husband being a nuclear physicist. And they, like, I do like that part that that's very mm-hmm. clever because like they do try to give you those, red herrings you know that that make you think like this is some kind of vast conspiracy and it's really not that at all i I do enjoy that aspect of it and i think the the key with the red herrings is the size of the herring you know like you can't have these like jaw-dropping nuclear bomb reveals of things this isn't a fucking m night Shyamalan movie you know like you can (laughs) like just a sly one is all you need you know it does the job it still pulls, pulls the rug but it doesn't you know knock down the mansion when you pull the rug and and as you mentioned, Don, with the running gags, it's not just the the dog crap one they do early and, and then they get it over with. Yeah. But the one that I liked with was uh kind of the shtick they did because it was the fifties when Mr. Green reveals that he's a homosexual. Yeah. Uh and what's interesting is when you see that scene, you look at the reactions of all the characters. Almost everybody was, you know, the butler's eyes get big and he looks at the paper. Uh, Mrs. Peacock goes, oh, you know, and a couple of people look at that disgusting. Mrs. Uh, Miss Scarlet 
on the other mm-hmm. hand, smiles and finds amusement in it. She's not offended by this at all because she she runs the brothel. She's a little more open, right. but it was fitting for her character. But there's nuances like that, you know, mm-hmm. and then that doesn't come up for a while until they get to the uh, drawing the uh, uh, sticks to go explore the house. Um, and, uh, you know, Yvette <laughs> goes, but the ethic is, you know, it's dark up there. I am afraid of the dark. Who will go with me? And you have you know, Professor Plum goes, I will. And Colonel Muster goes, I will. And Mr. Green goes, I'm okay. And he walks away. And that's pure McKeon, too. Like, we know McKeon mm-hmm. can just deadpan when he needs to. Mm-hmm. It's so, yeah, that's so good. You, but, you know, and then it comes up one time later. But it, it's just one of those things where they work it in. And then they might not come back for a little while to the joke. Uh, you know, and and makes me wonder just how much of the script was improved because a good question. That, it was either a real easy direction for this group, just saying, here's what you do, or it had to be tough to like hurting cats because they mm-hmm. <laughs> all, all, but like I, you I, said, they, I think they all understand the assignment and stuck to it. Yeah, but no, no. egos, you know, it's not like Christopher Lloyd's going to take over that room and go, well, guys, I am right, you know, or, you know, Martin <laughs> Mull's not going to go in there. Hey, I am right. Uh, we should do it this way. Like, I think you got a collaborative team there and they hired the right people. The only, the only person I thought was improvising, and who knows, it could have been improvised. I mean, I think we're, we're used to a cinematic language where you can kind of tell when someone's riffing and when they're not. But because mm. I think a lot of this is very constructed. The only person yeah. I think is actually um, uh, improvising is Madeline Kahn. Cause she does some things yeah. where mm. you're like, okay. like there's that whole moment where she's like putting her hands up to her head and being like, but I was like, like, Oh, the flames. Flames. Yeah. <laughs> that is improv. That was improv when she's yeah. talking about Yvette. She's like, flames on the side of my face, burning, heaving. Bur-. And everybody takes a beat, and then they just keep going, like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I, I feel like she was, in, not in a different movie, but I, I do feel like she was given a little bit more, yeah. uh, a little bit more chance to do it. Because she is kind of a, um, I'm not like a Madeline Kahn expert, but she is kind of a really interesting person in terms of mm-hmm. like the way she presents herself you know like she yeah like you're not sure if she's being like purposefully daft or like intentionally yeah. sexy or you know that's whatever like she, she's very confusing and i love that yeah about her. that's that's definitely of the cast the most enigmatic you don't know where they're coming mm-hmm. from personality of the bunch for sure like everyone else you could tell is you know a, a comedic technician a chameleon could do anything you want them to yeah. do, but then Khan shows up and like, oh, here, here she comes, you know, because you just don't know. What, she's a tornado. You don't know what you're going to get. How many husbands have you had, mine or other women's? Yours. Yeah. <laughs> five. Just a five. But, <laughs> that should but, be like Kleenex. Soft, yeah. malleable, and disposable. You draw mm-hmm. men to their death like flies to the ointment. <laughs> flies are where men are most vulnerable. <laughs> oh my god that, that's the thing like and it, if this was again a star fest with bigger egos mm-hmm. and like, like to use will's example kevin hart this would be a two-minute diatribe where everyone knows just let a kevin go he's going to go over long he's going to bury a point and, and overpilot with a, with a gag that is great for the two minutes but then serves no purpose later so that's a, that's that's a, a good way to put my feeling on the film too because like for example like there's a film Here's another film that seemed tailor made for me. Um, okay. So it's a Will Ferrell movie. It was called Semi Pro. Okay. You got mm, Will Ferrell, yeah. you got Woody freaking Harrelson in it. It's about yep. the ABA in the 70s. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, 
like when that when the when somebody put that on paper, I was just uh-huh. like, oh fucking hey, this yeah. movie is for me. Uh-huh. And the white throat with the short shorts, the sweaty. Oh gosh, I yeah, remember the yeah. promo trailer. Let's get sweaty, you know. Oh, the, yeah, the song and the ball. That's awesome it, for a bit. There. And and sometimes I'll, you know, if you're on YouTube or something, you'll see a clip from it, and I'll laugh hysterically mm-hmm. for that <laughs> one minute clip. But then when you yeah. put it all together, yeah. like it, it, it either within the context of the film, it either by the time you get to that funny moment, you're worn out from it, or yep. Yep. it's just mm-hmm. too much and. I don't want to say that Clue is like semi-pro because I think oh, I think Clue is I think Clue is a wonderfully crafted film, um, mm-hmm. but I think I think what it is is like ev- everything you guys have been describing these funny moments. I'm sitting here laughing and I'm like, yeah, that was funny, but for some reason, all put mm-hmm. together, I don't know if it's mm-hmm. just I, I can't. Like I, I love when you guys explain that because I was like, "Yeah, that is clever. That is funny." Yeah. But something about it all together just did not gel with me. I, like I said, it might just be the type of comedy it is. I don't know because all that I stuff t- is funny. Yeah. Everything you mentioned is funny. Like it's very funny. So well, you two have brought this up. You two have brought this up with horror, and it it plays well with comedy as well. Where this, it's such a different strokes for different folks, different taste of tea thing. Where comedy is so fragile from person to person. Where I, mm-hmm. yeah, what Mark is loving, another person would be like, "What the fuck," you know? And then what, what you love, or somebody who's a Will Ferrell stand is going to just be like, "Yeah, this movie's boring," you know? I just need Will to do this. Like, comedy is so difficult. Where oh, yeah. you either have to sit back and just kind of let it come to you, or you gotta, or yeah, you have to, you have your taste, and that's all you really go for. It's tricky. Well, and yeah. and one of, and the the comedy <clears throat> that I grew I grew up on that really shaped me in terms of what I like about comedy was mystery science theater 3000. And Mm. the great thing about that show was that they were, they were leveling about 500 jokes an episode. And if you're sitting there laughing at all of them, you're probably got some kind of brain problem because it was, it was hitting like every, it was hitting so many different types of comedic levels. And then you would find out, okay, I like when they go in this route with this joke or, Maybe I don't understand that reference. Some I don't think that's funny, but like you could watch it, have some jokes hit you that don't hit you, but then they'll have some jokes that just kill you. And that was the cool part about watching it with friends too, is that just like you mentioned, Don, like I would be watching MST 3K with somebody and somebody on my left is watching it and they laugh at a joke that I don't even understand what it means. Then I laugh at a joke, which they don't understand what it means. And then we're all sitting there blank after one joke. And then all three of us are laughing at another. It's kind of like this, uh, you know, smash and grab of comedy that you try to grab. And, and that kind of influenced me in a lot of ways. So I think with something like that, you have that freedom to try different comedy styles in one episode or one season. When, when you commit to a certain comedy, you know, you're really only going down one lane or two. And if that lane is not for you, yeah. then you, like I said, I'll be sitting next to you two on the couch and you two will be laughing it up and I'll sit, I'll be sitting there going, all right, fine. Yeah. I, I didn't, I admit, like, um, like my I have this big gap where, like, my parents didn't take me to movies like crazy, or they weren't current movie watchers. Where all that '80s stuff that should have been John Hughes, that should have been my, like, should have been my, you know, infancy of comedy, never really came to me. I, like, I saw Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and but nothing ever Hughes after that. And then, so I had to my comedy stuff would be teen stuff. So it would have been the '90s and '90s. 
comedy was, you know, e- 90s and aughts was e- it was Ugh. the raunch of the 80s, like American Pie. You're like, that's yeah. where I hit my stuff, where it was all, it was the over excessiveness of where the 80s started, where that's my level of jokes, where in my taste of comedy, now I've grown to love this stuff since because if I didn't get the current stuff, I always watched the old stuff. Like it was I Love Lucy, it was the Honeymooners, it was the, that was the stuff on the TV in my house. So I have that gap where I know and appreciate the old stuff. I shock value enjoy what was at the time the new stuff. And now I could come back here in the 80s and go, oh, look at this fun mix in between. And then well, abhor the stuff they're making now. Well, I like that you brought up American Pie. And I also bring up another era for me that defined me in terms of comedy. But like the thing about American Pie and the thing about, uh, and there was a movie that came out, or two movies that came out at the same time, which I think drove comedy in one direction or the other. You had Wedding Crashers and 40-Year-Old Virgin. Mm, and Yep. And to me, like Wedding Crashers, like uh, had this kind of not cynical, but like it doesn't have any heart to it. Whereas, like Forty Year Old Virgin, even American Pie, people forget American Pie has a lot of heart into it. Like it's not mm. just a raunchy sex comedy. It's it like you actually kind of care about those people. Like, and they also it also brings back your nostalgic memories for high school and stuff. And and Forty Year Old Virgin was like Judd Apatow found that amazing mix of like being raunchy as hell but also having such like honest heart to it. And I think, I think that might be another issue that I have is that in clue, like pretty much everybody is unlikable. <laughs> like I don't, I don't like, I don't sure. want any of these characters to survive necessarily. Like I'm not like, Oh God, like, man, I hope Colonel mustard doesn't buy it. Cause I really love him. You know, it's, it, it is broader comedy. It doesn't have a lot of heart to it. It's funny but it's not heartwarming. And I think mm. for me, comedy has to have that. That's, that's the lane I go into is okay, that I also okay. kind of want to, I want to, that's, that's why um, I find Seinfeld such a tough, yeah. tough sitcom for me to Oof. continue to like, like I loved it when it was on, but the more I sure. think about it now, I think about, it, I go like, well, there's really nothing for me to attach onto other than that. They're funny. They're awful. Yeah. People. They you know are. Yeah. I mean? It's like, hard this thing. Mark, um, Mark, what's your lane for this? Like we, we, you got Will and I talking about our comedic <laughs> skeletons. What's yours? Well, well, for me, uh, I'm just a, I'm ten year, I, I, I'm a decade maybe separated between you guys. Not quite that, but um, for me, I grew up as, during my impressionable ages uh, during the '80s. Being Gen X, I'm kind of in that in between mode to where uh, my parents took me to see just about anything. It didn't matter the rating. So I got a lot of see a lot of stuff in 1982. I saw Conan the Barbarian in the theater. Okay, Ooh. I was se- oh, I was man. seven. Let's put it <laughs> that way. I know that okay. explains okay. a lot now, right? No, <laughs> um, but and I still don't think we've seen it today. And it's just because of it, whatever you want to say, the culture change and how humor has changed. But the 80s really was a bit of a golden age, especially the early 80s, like mm-hmm. 80 to 86. A golden age for comedy stand-up yeah. was becoming huge stand-up comedies i mean they were everywhere stand-up comics were becoming big stars nearly instantly if they were entertaining because they get a hot following in the clubs like instantly so you had a lot of stand-up comedy i remember watching hbo and a lot of stand-up comic specials like cons there and my dad taped most of them on vhs so i actually still have a lot of them um and a lot of the comedy in there is not exactly acceptable today but -hmm. at the time when you're you know it was funny um but also the comedy the the movie comedies 
were in a bit of a golden age as well. The parody with the Zucker brothers. Um, yeah. They, who, I know one of them so got involved later with scary movie and that, but it, it really petered mm-hmm. out. But during the eighties, your airplane, your top secret, your, you know, other parody films and such, or ones that didn't claim they were parody films, but when you're watching them, you're going, Oh, I know what this is. A you know, but comedy was really in an interesting stage during the eighties. So I grew up with those. So I grew up and saw airplane in the theater. I mm-hmm. saw, you know, I saw the the raunchy comedies of, of Police Academy and uh, you know Porky's, <laughs> wow. you know, uh, but you know which are PC you now. But I'm I'm just saying it was interesting for comedy back then. But the parodies, especially the satire like Clue, uh, Airplane, and that were done well because they were movies that had storylines, but they would work their mm-hmm. skits into the storyline versus yeah. the transition of after scary movie and scary movie to it those started to pick up it was skit comedy with something loosely mm-hmm. tying them sure. together i watched epic I movie and, and nearly threw uh, the disc across the room uh-huh. Good <laughs> because example. epic movie was painful i'm like why why am i even watching this but i watch anything once uh mm-hmm. so that's where i come from so man. you you know for me and the mel brooks movies you know you had mel brooks you had the zucker brothers you had that kind of comedy where people knew how to do the satire without it feeling just shtick from shtick to shtick Mm -hmm. and i that's what i grew up with so that's what i'm used to and i think that's a movie like this is yeah chef kiss so this is a movie this is right in my wheelhouse because it's exactly what i look for versus even the later comedies now a lot of them just don't hit because (laughs) even if they have more of a story they're still more of oh here's a joke okay here's a joke okay here's a (laughs) joke yeah Yeah, you you, you bring up a great point because um when i think of airplane and i think of like uh let's say like a robin hood men in tights right yeah (laughs) like those are at the time referencing something from that era like the air- airplane right. is referencing all those airport movies you know with mm-hmm. uh you know uh, disaster films yeah, yeah like yeah. stuff right. like that but you can watch it today on its own and kind of still get the humor of it without understanding those references robin hood men in tights is obviously making fun of very specifically robin hood prince of thieves because they have that great line like unlike other robin hoods i speak with a british accent but um <laughs> you know but also like if you just know anything about robin hood you can just watch that and enjoy it you know so i, I do think there is a niche culture now where everything kind of has to have a reference to something mm-hmm. or people never what was that you've referenced this before don there was this comedy okay. with jason siegel where he's like yelling at a kid about Jordan oh, versus uh, LeBron. Yeah, it's a it's the movie Bad Teacher. Yeah, but at, at that time LeBron hadn't won any rings, so like, yeah, at that time it was hilarious because Jason Siegel's like he hasn't won any rings, you loser! Like you know, like and like it's, yeah, the, the line is like the line is call me when LeBron has six championships and the kid's like, that's your only argument. And he gets screams back. This is the only argument I need, which I love because LeBron has not anywhere close to six rings as a Jordan <laughs> Chicago guy. Fuck oh, you. LeBron. No, I, I don't like, I don't like LeBron James either, but uh, yeah, he's four and six in the finals all time and he'll never get close, but no, no, but I'm just saying like, or I think of like Austin powers, the spy who shagged me where like, yeah, at the end of that movie, like when uh, the penis rockets in the air or whatever, like it shows like the Osbournes like watching TV and they're going like, "Who the fuck is that?" You know, and you're like, 
Yeah. Someone who has no idea who Ozzy Osbourne is in any iteration, whether it's Black Sabbath, solo career, or reality TV star, someone could watch that in 2023 and be like, what the hell was Ozzy Osbourne just yeah. doing? They they become time TV? capsules. They become time mm-hmm. capsules of time capsules at this point. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very yeah. But Clue, I, I, don't, I can't do that to Clue. Like Clue, you can't do that to Clue. You can't. No, it's that being it was a period piece as it was setting in the fifties, right. being in the eighties, where now it's just it is exactly what it is for what it is, and there's a timeless quality to it. So absolutely, no, no, that's 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 where I praise it as well. Yeah. Is when I was watching it, I wasn't thinking like, "Oh, this is a product of its time." I mean, yeah. sure, there is it's a product of its. It's a product of its eighties with its you know, levels of comedy, but at the same time, if you were right. to slap black and white on it, put it in the fifties, it wouldn't be the worst sore thumb thing to show. Yeah, yeah, there, there would. Uh, I, that's what I mean. It's like you can watch Clue now, just like you can watch Airplane or Robin Hood Men in Tights, and not be trapped within you know that era and thinking like, "Well, this this could." Well, who knows these days, but you know, mm. like this could only be made in 1985. Like, I, I don't think that's the case at all. I think, yeah, I think it has legs and this is why people do respond to it is because they watched it when they were kids or saw it in the theater, you know, uh, as younger people. And then, you know, I didn't see it in the theater in 1985 because I was three years old, but you know, like <laughs> people might watch it and, and, and still have that connection. I, I don't think it's one of those nostalgia like one of those because th- we've all we've all had those where we watch a movie that we watched as a kid and we loved it and then we watch it when we're an adult and we go holy holy fuck like what, <laughs> what the hell was I thinking yeah. um, you know for me it was for me it was and maybe Mark will appreciate this because I know Don hasn't seen it but like for me when I was a kid I watched this movie called Arena um, mm, well, yeah where it, it was like Rocky in space where like yeah. <laughs> this this guy has to box all these like monsters and aliens like in a ring in the future and. Um, God, when I was a kid, that movie was like, I was like, this is, it's like Citizen Kane and Arena. Arena is the greatest piece of cinema I've ever seen. And I watched it recently and it has a lot of enjoyment and nostalgia value, but it's obviously a very bad movie, you know? So, but I think Clue is one of these ones that I think has enough artistic merit and enough broad, timeless comedy to it that it, it can be watched in 2022, 2023 and still be appreciated for what it is, not just you're not like watching like one of those Bob Hope things, you know, like, you know, like, uh, with uh, the road to Morocco where you're just sitting there the whole time going like, what the fuck? Is, I don't even, I don't even know what's going on right now. Cause you know, it's made, <laughs> the, made in the late thirties or whatever. And you're like, I have no idea what any of these references are or what this humor is or anything, you know? So. Mark, while we got you here, I mean, a lot of it has been made, of course, currently of with obviously Knives Out kind of being the the it thing of, you know, the last couple of years being, you know, the the quote unquote demystifying and deconstructing the whodunit. And of course, the sequel is playing right now on Netflix. Where do you kind of stand on Knives Out and Knives Out Glass Onion if you've seen it? Oh, yeah, I've seen both. I'm a big fan of both. Um, they lean they they lean a little bit more to just uh more the tongue is in the cheek parole movies than something like clue which is an all-out yeah. satire of the murder mystery specifically you know uh, uh specific authors or i mean this is literally a uh, clue is literally a parody of was it a 12 little indians uh mm-hmm. you know that that type of story is where it mainly borrows from that that murder mystery um whereas knives out 
you have it's more subtle and while you do still have your over-the-top characters it leans more towards say brana's uh death on the nile than it does Mm. clue it's kind of an in-between and i think that's the appeal for a lot of people is the fact that it it is pulling back the veil a bit on the tropes of the murder mystery where it's letting you know it's not taking itself too seriously but at the same time it's taking it more self more serious than a straight out parody or comedy Mm -hmm. i think if i'm with you i think it i think it plays and i think it fits into now where satire is tricky we've talked about this in the show will and i where like a movie like don't don't look up where like satire is either i know it satire is kind of lost or it's spun to it's spun in a way that just doesn't stay where like oh wait we have to be serious for a second no 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 just stay satire you know don't don't rub it in just be be what you're going to be you set out really well but yeah yeah, satire has to be satire has to have that level of that you're believing this is really happening but it also is so absurd Mm -hmm. that you know what i mean like it's like don't look up is so over the top like over the top hitting you on the head obvious with its what it's satirizing um, a recent movie I watched that I think Matt like is a great satire is uh, Triangle of Sadness, uh, the, mm. which came out, uh, where it's like, like I don't at any point. Yes, it it is absolutely absurd at some points where you're just like, can anyone really be <laughs> that rich and decadent? But yet everything that happens in the movie, like you, we've witnessed somebody doing that, even if we've done it mm-hmm. ourselves, like it it's real. It's realism and fantasy kind of meshed together in a perfect blend so that you know what you're watching is satirized but it's also entirely possible it's almost kind of like the the idea that when people say like a stereotype is based somewhat in truth you know Mm -hmm. that's kind of what a satire needs to be it needs a satire needs to have elements of realism to sell it as a satire um so that's kind of where you have to figure out that nuance of how you're selling it like like to me like don't look up is a, a terrible example of satire because it's <laughs> way too obvious I, you know i don't know i don't know if you guys saw the movie but there's a movie called shoot 'em up uh yeah it came out mm-hmm. a while ago mm-hmm. yeah clive owen that was a film i went in because the trailer looked like it was a straight up a little quirky action film i did not mm-hmm. expect it to be a satirized look at all the tropes in action films but at the same time it it wasn't like full-blown airplane type humor parody of action films it was more of a satire was just kind of pulling back that veil i love shoot 'em up i thought shoot 'em up was was great uh a lot better than what i expected it to be when i went into it you know but you're right satire is there's always that fine line between parody and satire and uh you know i think it gets muddied sometimes but uh a good satire is one that you may not realize at first it's actually satirizing something till you take a beat and think about what's going on mm-hmm. and you're like oh i get what they're going and then you look at yeah. the film at a whole nother level <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And i think that i think it's a lost art i think uh i think the closest person today well adam mckay thinks he is but like probably jordan peele <laughs> You know, Jordan Peele, if he wanted to turn on his comedy jets and combine it with the heady commentary he already does, he's oh, yeah. the closest, like uh, he could he could turn on if he wanted to. 
a scathing satire, which would be really, really oh, yeah. good. Well, the the guy, like I said, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but the guy who did Triangle of Sadness. Um, oh, he's been Ruben Ostlund. He's, he's been doing a couple yeah, lately. Yeah, he's been doing a lot too. I think he would actually be pretty pretty darn good. Who did, um, but not on a, but not on a. I know what you're saying, but like, there's there's very few directors out there that have that ability to, and I'll even give Christopher Nolan props on this too. But that, that are able to kind of have a uh, a more intellectual voice coupled with mass entertainment and jordan peele is mm. one of those like he can he can sell you a, his movies are going to be number one at the box office when they come out but he's also going to give you a level of mm-hmm. argument and deep meaning and intellectualism and stuff like that that so very few people can do that so yeah maybe austin won't be able to do it on that level you know like, like yeah. i said you have to you have to find his movies but yeah jordan peele would be a perfect one because He'll get the butts in the seats, and he'll give you something worthy of entertainment and satire. You know. Well, yeah. I think I think what's also and it's I'm not saying this as a bad thing. I'm just saying it changed comedy is mm-hmm. just your cultural approach to comedy now of what will be considered funny and what will be considered offensive or cancelable. Um, yeah. I think you bring that up. I, and, that's a fair point. And, and I have to bring it up if you're talking about comedy because it's it's very true. And I, again, I'm not saying it's it's a bad thing to be more aware. At the same time, I think if you had someone creative enough, they could still write comedies with some jokes that might push it towards the edge more so than most. But I don't think you have anyone brave enough to do that with a comedy nowadays. So that's why we have the comedies we yeah, do. We get the we get the low the low hanging fruit and the easy right. stuff. Yeah, because for, that's for a, what people's taste can handle. Yeah, for something that is defined as a comedy, because I think there are right, right. I yeah. think there are yeah. like uh, things out there that. Um, you got outliers like not, Ruben Ostland and Armando yeah. Iannucci doing Veep and doing Death of Stalin and like there's some people right. who who push, but it's rare. Sure, sure, yeah. but but it's not what, what I'm saying is like so like when you take something like I, I think of two examples of something that involves race, okay? Because mm-hmm. that's a very touchy subject now. Let's look at like Pulp Fiction and Rush Hour, okay? Mm, like oh my. Pulp Fiction, you kind of get the understanding that these are what the characters are thinking, and that that is the character's ideology, right? It's not necessarily the writer of the screenplay. He's showing a character who is racist. But then you go to Rush Hour, where a lot of the jokes are very specifically about every, like, not everyone's, but people's innate ability to make fun of something that's other. Like, you know, like, (laughs) when you watch Rush Hour now, it's just like, hey, you got the Panda Express because you're Chinese, get it? Like, you know, it's like, okay, that is a very specifically, like, going for the racial joke specifically because it's racial you know what i mean like mm-hmm. does that make sense so mm-hmm. it, it is tough and it, like that's what i'm saying you can't make a rush hour today not only because you want to make a good movie but also because <laughs> you know you you can't just you can't just make a racial joke to make a racial joke anymore and that so, so there are positives to now i'm not saying everyone should be canceled I, I, me and don are very anti-woke cancel people mm-hmm. but there is also there there is also evolving to the correct level of like what is an appropriate joke and what isn't, you know what I mean? So, you, and it's so touchy uh, though. It's yeah, but, it, but that's the thing. It is very touchy. Like 
So you won't see the overt like racial overtones of something like rush hour anymore, but yet you won't see anyone pushing those boundaries either to, to mm-hmm. like, because like music, cause I think people forget like, you know, uh, and I teach this a lot in, in my English class, like w- with music, I tell them, it's like, just because someone's singing about something doesn't mean they believe that just like, cause mm-hmm. people don't go to movies and they don't think, Oh, um, you know, I'm trying to think of somebody like, you know, uh, the first one pops in my head. We, I don't really think that Michael B. Jordan is, has killed 190 people as Killmonger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, they, they're able to understand the separation between the art and the artist a little bit on that. Right. Whereas like music, people take that very seriously and go like, well, cause like, for instance, my favorite, my favorite Slayer song, I'm a big Slayer guy. My favorite Slayer song is a song called Jihad, which is written from the perspective of a suicide bomber from the Middle East. Right. So people, for some reason, they listen to that music and they go, oh, you're you're praising, you know, Islamic extremism and you want to kill people and you believe in Satan. And it's like, no, 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 this is still storytelling. Like mm-hmm. people are still yeah, telling it's, stories. It's just it, for some reason, yeah. people can't separate that stuff. So I what know. happens? Like if, it, yeah. My, my thing I tell it. people is like if the Nazis ever made a good rom-com, I'd watch it and enjoy the rom-com guys, you know. <laughs> it it it's not only and Ian Ian and I have had that discussion quite often about separation yeah. of art and artist is always tough, but it also it takes people to take a beat and actually look at the material rather than look at the clickbait headline summary synopsis whatever, because look at how many people and this this was a surprise but look how many people when the anniversary for Blazing Saddles came out. And look at how there was some outcry on the Twitterverse already going, oh, this should be canceled. This is such a racist book. And you Mm -hmm. had people of color coming to defense of the film going, have you watched the movie? Exactly. The the hero of the film is a smart, good-looking black guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he saves the people. And his buddy is a drunk Jewish individual. And, you know, and don't get me wrong, there's racial jokes in there. But if you look at the story, Mm -hmm. what is it actually poking fun at? It's poking fun at the racialness of Westerns is what it's poking fun at. But on the surface, people just see, you know, these mm-hmm. jokes or, or what they've heard. They haven't actually watched the film and they go, oh, well, that's racist. I'm like, have you actually watched the movie? <laughs> yeah, that's what uh, that's what Samuel L. Jackson said when people said, hey, is Tarantino racist? He's like, have you watched these movies? Like, I'm the smartest guy in Pulp Fiction. I'm the smartest <laughs> character. Mm-hmm. I'm the coolest character. And all these other people around me are freaking idiots. Like, like, the, like he's actually giving me the most powerful role in the movie. And you think he's racist because he says the N word in some movies? Like, you know, yeah. once again, it's a character saying the N word, not the writer of the screenplay. You know what I mean? It's, it's weird. It's just he wears yeah, the pant in, in the in the coupling of Vincent Vega and Jules. Jules wears the pants in that family. Absolutely. Up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you, you know what I mean? If you look at the way he talks, every he wears the pants in the family, much less be, you know, he's also the smartest of the pair, but he also is the one that is actually leading. You know, Vincent takes basically direction from, you know, and he barely even challenges it because he knows better. <laughs> well, and, and mm-hmm. then, like, this is where it confuses me because I think of a scene from 42, the, the Chadwick Boseman 
film oh, yeah, about Jackie it. Robinson, right? Like, I never, no one ever, I don't think anyone came out of that movie and was like, remember that scene where Alan Tudyk kept, like, taunting Chadwick Boseman and calling him the N-word and stuff? Like, I don't think anyone was sitting there going, well, the screenwriter of this is racist because they use that mm-hmm. word. Like, it, it's almost like the context was very obviously understood in that. I think that that was very obvious. That scene, the context of that scene is very obvious. It's, it's mm-hmm. Jackie Robinson's up to bat, and the, the player on the other team, who's very clearly racist, is saying things that are racist, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to be like, well, screw that. But that's what I'm saying. is like people lose the subtlety. Like, and that's yeah. why everyone's so sensitive these days, because they can't, for some reason, unless it is blatantly on the nose like that, because you could watch 42, and I think, I think 42 is a, a fine movie. It's, it's fine. It's like a three-star kind of movie. It's enjoyable, but it is a little bit broad, you know, and you could get away with, you know, instead of showing the systemic racism that Jackie Robinson faced, they have to really hit you over the head by having this one scene where this Alan Tudyk is horrible to, to Chadwick Boseman to kind mm-hmm. of bring home the idea that he faced racism, you know, but once you start getting in the weeds of that and you start like the context is a little bit blurry and things are a little bit blurry and people automatically go to, well, the screenwriter must be racist, you know, or just like with music, it's like, Oh, well, if they're talking about the devil, they must worship the devil. It's like, no, like, do you ever understand the context of like performance and art and mm-hmm. you know what people are doing? Like, mm-hmm. Like uh, the, the the greatest way to sum this up is uh, Judas Priest was uh, brought to court because um, somebody, a family, uh, uh, their son committed suicide or something, and they said when they found his body, he was listening to Judas Priest on repeat or whatever. And Judas Priest's argument in court was like, "Yeah, I got a great idea. <laughs> Let me kill off all my consumers. Yeah, because I'm really promoting suicide, so that way when I release albums, no one will buy them because they're all dead." Like, it's kind of the, the, Uh like, you know what I mean? Like, it's still like an art form. It's still a business. Like, like people forget, like, they're not like, uh, you know, people aren't recording these metal songs in the forest, you know, and it's just magically coming on, on vinyl. It's not like Lords of Salem where it just shows up on a vinyl. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, they went into a studio. They rented the studio. They signed a contract. Like they actually laid down tracks. Like the guy's singing isolated vocals and then mixing it in with, a person who did like 17 takes on the drums. Like I think people just forget the nuance and the context of all this stuff. And they, and and that's why I don't think we're ever going to be able to really get comedies. I know this is a lot mm. for clue. Cause I don't think clue is like a, like a genre, like, you know, stretching kind of film, but just in general, what Mark was saying, like how we're always going to be too afraid to push that envelope. Like mm. people just have developed that. They just, they don't have the ability anymore to, see past like a word or an image they yeah. don't they're not seeing what the word means in the context of the screenplay or they're not seeing what the image means in the context of the message of the film or whatever and that's yeah. that's why comedies i think are going just that's why i don't watch the safe comedies route, the safe route. It's, it's the the closest we get is because of you know like you said boundaries and labels is the self-deprecating variety like when kevin hart makes a black joke it's okay because kevin hart made it and you know but it's it's something every screenwriter's thinking it's got signed off on eight ways to sunday before it even hits a camera the lawyers the lawyers have been involved and oh yeah yeah. like for all the for the outraged crowd of like how could this ever be made i'm like well it got through 800 different layers before we got to you so 
apparently a bunch of us think it's fine. <laughs> yeah. The, um, the comedies we get now are hybrids. You, a lot of dramedies. You, yeah. You don't get, in all honesty, it's very few and far between where you have a complete straight comedy. It's I either agree. an action comedy, horror comedy, mm-hmm. dramedy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, action adventure comedy. I mean, Jumanji is filled with humor, but if you look at it, it's not just a comedy. It is an action adventure an action comedy. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in the 80s and, and even early aughts that you had straight like, that's a comedy. Yeah, you like know. Trading Places. You know, like Trading Place is pil- a straight pil- comedy. Pillar to post, all comedy. Yeah. Maybe a, a shade or two about race, a shade or two about sex workers, but like it's just going comedy all the way. But yeah, it's still, yeah, start to finish a comedy. It's not trying to be anything else. That's what's yeah, so weird. It's like I remember some of the best times I ever laughed. Like I don't think we have comic relief anymore. Right. Mm. In the traditional sense. Like well, I remember some of the no, no, just Hear me out. It's forced, though. Yeah. Hear me out. So, like, a lot of complaints about, like, Marvel, for example, is they'll be like, well, they always have a joke. Like, Mm -hmm. I think in some cases, yes. Like, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, James Gunn really went for the jokes over, like, the actual, like, dramatic moments. But it's a little over-exaggerated. But what I mean by that is, like, some of the hardest times I've ever laughed. I remember watching Jurassic Park for the first time, and I was so stressed out of my mind because that movie was (laughs) so tense that when there was a comedic beat, yeah. like it was the true definition of, um, you know, comic, what do they call it? Breaking the your comedic tension. Right. Like where you're like, sure. you're like, Oh my God, that's so funny. They even have it. You know, there's that moment where like Laura Dern, like I think she gets a joke out and she rests her head on the console and you're laughing. And then suddenly the Raptor head busts out. And you're like, Oh fuck, I'm stressed out again. Like, it, it, mm-hmm. like, I don't think we have that anymore. Like you said, I think I don't think it's as bad mm. in Marvel movies as people say. But yeah, it is more like I when people know. write a screenplay now, they go, okay, this is the action beat. Here's the drama beat. Here's the comedy beat. Like no one allows it to just flow anymore. The fluidity That's of it. True. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's all mapped out. Like comedy is no longer like a, like for me, my favorite action franchise is Lethal Weapon. I think Lethal Weapon movies are fucking hilarious. Are they comedies? No. But mm-hmm. they had that right blend of like, okay, like one minute you're going to have Mel Gibson putting a gun in his mouth, like he's going to kill himself. And then the next he's going to be, they're going to be cracking jokes about being too old or whatever. Like it, it had that perfect fluidity. It didn't seem mapped out by, by like a person in a boardroom that's going, okay, action beat, drama beat, comedy beat. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, I Mark, what do you com- think? Yeah. <laughs> I would say for the most part. Yeah. I, you could, you could pretty things much are over watch. things are over scripted. I think things are over telegraphed now yeah, to the word. to allow the audience to realize, hey, we know this is a joke. This is a joke. You can laugh now, or we know what this beat is. And I think they feel that way because again, it's either they don't have confidence in their audience to uh pick up on subtlety, ah, or they're too point. scared. They're too scared because they're afraid when people don't pick up on the subtle humor, they're going to take it the wrong way. And suddenly (laughs) you've Mm. got an explosion on Mm -hmm. Twitter because, Oh, this was, this person was portrayed this way, you know? Uh, And I, and I think that's part, part of it is it it goes with everything else. Now we talk about, uh, I've talked about with many people about trailers and just how much Mm -hmm. it shows in the trailer of the story. 
But talking to my 20 something sons and their generation, they want to know pretty much exactly what they're going to get going into a movie. If you surprise them or you don't give them some bits of the core story, even not everything, but just at least mm-hmm. the core story, they're going to be more hesitant to go into it because they want to know what they're paying for in all honesty Ooh, versus the mystery of in. the f- yeah, film. Yeah, interesting, interesting. That's, so so true, they, don't mind, they don't mind spoilers. They don't mind seeing the big effects shot in the trailer because they want to go see that on the big screen. They know it's coming. They feel they, comfortable going. I hate well, to use the a- E word, but it's expectations. They have they have right. one they want more fully formed expectations, whether they make it or not. Yeah, yeah. But but point. also but that's the weird but the weird thing about that is, I hate is that. The, the, here's here's the weird part about it. Like when Independence Day came out, when the trailers mm-hmm. came out, mm-hmm. they showed the White House blowing up in the fucking oh, yeah. trailer. Oh yeah, and and you were like, I gotta see that. Like, even though you just <laughs> saw it, but like, yeah, mm-hmm. now it's more of a now. Like, I think, like Mark said, it's more of a, um, it's more of a business point now where the trailers are the way they're cut together, because trailers explaining a lot is not a new thing. Like, you can watch no. trailers from the fifties, the sixties, the seventies. They'll yeah. play the whole goddamn That's- movie. They like, will play the whole goddamn movie. That's true. Yeah. But, like, yeah. but I think, yeah, now it is more like you'll see the first time I ever noticed it was this movie called The Negotiator with Samuel L. Jackson mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Kevin Spacey. Um, I've never seen the movie, and that's because of the trailer. Because what happened is <laughs> the trailer went through the story A, B, C, and D. It sure did. And, and right at the fade out, when. Because the, the whole movie is, from what I know from the trailer, the whole movie is hinged on the fact that Samuel Jackson is, you know, taking hostages and Kevin Spacey is the negotiator, right? Yep. And then at the end of the trailer, like when you're seeing all this stuff, moment, like they're going through the whole story, um, they fades to black and Kevin Spacey says, now they've got to deal with both of us. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, what's the fucking point of seeing the movie then? Yep. Because now I know that Kevin Spacey is going to take Samuel Jackson's side and they're yep. going to team up. So well, like I'll, movie ruined. You're right. Yeah. I'll one up, I'll one up you on that. The trailer to the guardian, Kevin Costner, Oscar ah. mm-hmm. film, the whole movie, the, the entire core, like the pitch script, like they literally took the pitch script and they made a trailer out of it. Because at the beginning of the trailer, they show his daughter and a, a guy in the Coast Guard and how he's reluctant on whether or not they're going to get married. There's some drama. They literally show a wedding scene with them together getting mm-hmm. married. And then they show them with a kid. And then they show later on, she's at a funeral and it's not the dad in the coffin. He's standing there she's in black they don't have a picture but i'm just like yep. i've just seen this entire movie mm-hmm. in this trailer from start yeah. to finish well, that, and it's not top, a special top, effects top, top thing. Maverick. It's, yeah it's top Maverick. they show a funeral yeah. in the trailer i'm like that's that's ice man because we all know that's Cameron's health yeah. we're like obviously yeah. this can be yeah. this is but, why i fight with don a little bit about because he gets mad at me because i don't watch trailers anymore because of him except for the marvel stuff and the only reason oh, i watch the Mar- now here's the thing i only watch the marvel stuff because they are probably the only ones these days that like to hide spoilers that it's almost I become an industry in itself nope they're, maybe they're not as good at it anymore as they used to be mm-hmm. but think about it they never when endgame came out they did not reveal a single that's thing that's the movie. one they, exception the one and for good reason know. 
Everything like know, you show me the Doctor Strange trailer and I see the whole movie. Show me the Thor no, no, trailer no, no. I, and I, I said, see the whole I movie. I said lately, lately they have not done it, but that's, I used to do yeah. it because I used to just want to. I just wanted to grab on whatever morsel I could get, which is what trailers yeah. used to. Yeah, I, I, I know, I know, I know. Used to be, but no, yeah, I I don't watch trailers anymore because of that. Because yeah, you're you're going to get every narrative beat, and but you know, but you, to Mark's point, I, I yeah, get why at different age of consumers. And, and and with money being what it is, and a th- trip to the theater not being cheap, like you want to like, know what you're gonna pay for. It's a very fair point from Mark. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, fellas, closing thoughts on Clue. I'm <laughs> good. You know I'm happy to be there. I think yeah. you know what, mine. I'm I'm I watch it often. I watch it. It's yeah. one of those where I'll throw it on occasionally. I I thoroughly enjoy it. I get cool. some people who who's it's not their bag, but for me, yeah. All right. Well, nail I'm, it and close it, man. I'm gonna go home and make love to my wife. So. <laughs> hey, there it is. But um, all right. So, oh, before we do that, Mark, tell us, tell the people where they can find you, like, and interact with you on the socials. Uh, best place to start is specialmarkproductions.com for all your movie man needs. There's links to my TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Twitch, uh, links to the podcast episodes, which we're now on Anchor FM. You can get uh, a link uh, button to my YouTube channel. Uh, I do a lot of things. We're in the middle of doing our vinyl countdown, uh, which is counting the vinyl days of uh, 2022, where I review 12 vinyl records in 12 days. We got three left. Nice. Uh, and yeah, I kind of do that on the channel, and I do a lot of movie reviews, interviews on the podcast and the YouTube chat. Yeah, I'm all over, but specialmarkproductions.com is where you can start and find like a launching point for all of that. Oh, and and people, I'm telling you out there, his his content is all over the place in a good way. Like it's like that's right. You can you can you can watch a video on like Sleepaway Camp one day, and then like I said, you get a vinyl review on the other. Then he'll talk about a mainstream movie that came out. Then he'll talk about Ginger Dead Man for three episodes. Like it's fantastic. Like it's just I, probably one of the most unique enjoyable experiences you can have so please go out there and check out his stuff because it's, uh, it's really phenomenal so you're too kind but thank you <laughs> <laughs> uh all right so as for us at cinephile hissy fit follow us on twitter at at cinephile fit facebook cinephile hissy fit podcast and instagram at cinephile hissy fits i believe also find us both on letterboxd we appreciate your captive audience and social media participation Cinephile Hissy Fit is a 25YL media podcast and is brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, Banana Meter, and we are charter members of the Independent Film Critics of America. If you enjoyed this show, Ruminations Radio Network has more where that came from with wonderful programs and interesting hosts. Our show and others are available on, <clears throat> excuse me, available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. <laughs>